Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Faith in You, You, the podcast for everyone. My name is McKinley Sins, and I serve as the minister at the UU Church of the Restoration in beautiful Mount Airy, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It is the middle of September, almost the middle of September. The church year has started back, and we are rocking and rolling at Restoration. It has been a pretty wild week when we received an emergency response from a local interfaith housing network, of which we are a part, that had three families who were in need of housing. They had been staying in another congregation, and due to a legal dispute there, they were being kicked out on this past Sunday and had nowhere to go. And we were able to organize, strategize, and prepare to host these three families. Um, as we usually do throughout the year, we usually just have a lot more notice, and it's usually later in the year, to get our space prepared and uh, host both the kickoff of the church year along with the move-in for these three wonderful families who are staying with us for the next two weeks. So things have been busy and very, very exciting. We are kicking off this year with a host of initiatives centered around the eighth principle of Unitarian Universalism. So if you are somewhat familiar with Unitarian Universalism, you might know that we have seven principles. And that is true. It is also true that at Restoration, we are one of the homes of the Eighth Principle, which specifically names dismantling white supremacy and systemic racism uh, within ourselves and our institutions as a goal of multicultural beloved community. Uh, it may not actually mention white supremacy culture, but that's what it's getting at. It says systemic racism in ourselves and our, in our institutions. And it's been spoken of highly and talked about highly at Restoration, and it is now really starting to get some teeth to it and some programmatic and sermonic support for me. So these are things that we're really, really excited about, and I recognize that this is a topic that is forefront in our culture right now and has now taken on a theological slant after GA in Spokane this year that there has been a theological pushback about what the dominant theology in Unitarian Universalism is and what it has to say about white supremacy culture and systemic racism and how what some view as the call-out culture of justice-making and the, the censorship culture, the Unitarian Universalist Association currently, uh, is seeking to silence some voices at the expense of others. And I could say a lot more about that, um, but I would just encourage people who uh, feel that way to read the book White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo and to really do some exploration of that topic. Because there's a checklist about white fragility, and many of the arguments that I have seen fit all those boxes. So with that, I would like to offer a, a different theological slant about how and why multiculturalism and justice-making and the Eighth Principle fit exactly in line with our call to be Unitarian Universalists, and especially in line with my own progressive Christian theology. So I want to share with you some of the work that we did in our in-gathering ceremony and our Water Communion Sunday this past Sunday at Restoration. We invited our kids to come up and hear the story about a poem 
from a set of Hebrew scriptures that in English we call the book of Genesis. You may or may not be familiar with the book of Genesis, but it is commonly referred to as the first book of the Bible. Uh, it was originally written in Hebrew, and it's about the creation of the world, or the creation of the universe. As Unitarian Universalists, we have seven principles, eight at Restoration, and we have six sources. One of our sources speaks about Jewish and Christian teachings from our theological and historical past that call us to be better human beings, to live in line with the divinity within all of us. It's my understanding. So I like to go back to the book of Genesis, the poem from the first chapter of Genesis that starts out, say it with me, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew is something like Bereshith bara Elohim et Hashemayim Right? The first word Bereshith is what the poem is known as in uh, the Hebrew scriptures. So if you've ever been to a Jewish synagogue and they're talking about Bereshith, that is the the name of the book of Genesis in that community. And the word Bereshith is typically translated as, say it with me, in the beginning. Something to hold on to that we're going to get back to. I had the kids come up and I told them this story about in the beginning. What was there? Well, we don't really know. But there was, according to this scriptural poem, there was light and there was wind and there was water. And the water that covered the face of the earth was chaotic. It was terrifying. It was roiling, boiling, smashing, crashing, tidal waves, tsunamis, just tohu vavohu is the Hebrew. That is just chaos, primordial, disorder. And yet, according to the poem, God separates the waters and creates land. And so it's important to know that the ancient view of this, they didn't have a great understanding of the scientific method. Uh, they were doing the best they could, and I think what they have is profoundly true and, and meaningful and beautiful and deep. But it's not necessarily scientific, right? So what the ancient people thought was they looked around, and they saw water uh, all around them. So it, it made sense that in the beginning, say it with me, in the beginning, there must have been this great primordial sea that covered over everything. And that from the sea came the land. So there was water below the heavens. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But there was also water above the heavens. Because every once in a while, water would come down from the sky. They thought, well, okay, so it must be there is water up there above the heavens. And there is water down here below the earth and in the seas. So there is water, water everywhere, and only some of it is drops to drink. But the point is that the water that was covering the face of the earth, that the poem says the wind of God, the spirit of God, the breath of God rushed over, was chaotic, was disorderly, was full of potential and power. We spoke of water communion as holding in the dichotomy of water as 
the life-giving source of all there is on this good earth. That we all need water to survive, that the plants need water to survive, that the animals need water to survive. That water is a great source, but it is also potentially a great terror, as we're seeing in the Bahamas, along the east coast of America. We see it in hurricanes, we see it in tsunamis, we see it in typhoons, we see it in flash floods. That this great power and this great potential exists in this elemental force. And that the water that Genesis speaks of in the beginning was this water. And it's smashing, crashing, roiling, boiling. It has this great potential to do harm. And from it comes the land. Created from the water is the land, is the rock, is this stable force, this order, the opposite of chaos. That God reaches down and pulls up the land, and that eventually becomes the world. So, science aside from that, I think it's theologically interesting to think about how the water has the potential and the power for both destruction and creation, for both disorder and order, the power to do harm and the power to do good. I see a lot of parallels for us as humans, right? Don't we have the capacity to do good and ill? To create disorder and order? I think the ancients might have been onto something when they discovered, when they stated that the whole world is covered in this force that has the ability to do good or to do ill. So remember that Hebrew word, Bereshith, that's the title of this poem in Jewish communities. I love this word. I'm kind of a Hebrew geek. And in English, a way that you can spell it is B-E-R-E-S-H-I-T-H, Bereshith. And it's actually a prepositional phrase, right? Because it's translated, say it with me, in the beginning. So we translate it as three words. In Hebrew, it's one word. But it's a prepositional phrase that can be split up into ba, the letter bet, ba, and rashith. So there is a, a symbol in the Hebrew that makes this a definite article. So it's something, the, something. The preposition bet, ba, ba rashith usually gets translated as in, in something, in the beginning, in the time of, in the house. Uh, that's what you use. You use the preposition ba. But the preposition with the bait, ba Rashith, doesn't have to mean in the beginning, which is what Rashith is usually translated to, beginning like a time. The preposition ba can also mean with. So the translation of the first few words of the poem that starts the book of Genesis doesn't have to be in the beginning. It could be with the beginning. As if the beginning is the stuff 
that God created the heavens and the earth out of. That is not about a time, necessarily, but it's a substance or concept. That with this rashith, God created the heavens and the earth. That everything is made out of this rashith. So the question, of course, then, for us as theological people is, what is rashith? So there's a whole lot of Jewish midrash on this exact topic, and it, it ranges in what they think it is. I happen to take the fact that it is love. For me, the whole world is based on the idea of love. That love is what prompted the divine to create a space of safety amidst the chaos, to lift the rock out of the water, to make order out of disorder, without losing the potential and the power of the water to be both, right? The land comes up, and now there's water on the land, there's water in the sea, and according to the ancients, there was water above the heavens. But that the water never loses its potential to be both chaotic and creative. I think that's important. I think that Rashid is this animating force, this engine of the universe, as Rob Bell calls it, that could be love, joy, justice, hope, laughter, Science, math, randomness, chaos, I, I don't know. But to me, love with a capital L feels like what my Rashith is. It's what I think is the animating force of the entire universe. It's what we're all here to seek, to find, to use. So, if the whole universe is made out of love, what does that mean? That's a bigger question, I guess. But I think the theological truth behind this poem, that is not a scientific book or a scientific fact sheet, but it's a song, a hymn, a poem about the beauty and the wonder and the nature of the universe. I think it's so interesting that it's a story about water that is smashing, crashing, roiling, boiling, chaotic, disorderly, swirling all around you. And then there's a safe space from which to look out. So I was telling the kids this story, and I said, you know, sometimes it feels like the world outside is, is spinning so fast and going so fast, and so many bad things happen on the news, that it feels like you'll never get a place to rest. But I wonder if church can be that place. I wonder if church can be like the rock that came out of the water. If church can be like the land where you feel safe, secure, loved at home. And I had the kids pour some water into a bowl to symbolize the chaos of that primordial sea. Then I had them put their rocks into the bowl to symbolize the land and to symbolize a place where they felt safe and loved and nurtured and at home. And I said, so what else was there in the beginning? We've got the water, we've got the rock, the land. Remember what else there was? I said, yeah, there was wind, there was breath. I said, oh, yes. There was wind and breath, translated as the same word for spirit, ruach. We have spirit here, right? The spirit of life and the spirit within you and me and the spirit of this church. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, what else was there? They paused and they said, light. <sighs> yes. In the beginning, there was light. Let there be light, is the translation 
I said, okay, kids, think about it. You got the water that's roiling all around, boiling, smashing, crashing on the rocks, but the rocks feel safe and secure. You feel grounded. You feel centered there. You feel at home. You feel loved. So the wind, you have the spirit blowing in and around and blowing in and out of you and in and out of me. The same spirit that was then is now. And what about the light? Don't we talk about the light being inside of us as well? So what should we do with the light? And they said, we should shine it. Like the song says, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I said, yes, I think so too. I think when you look around you and the water is swirling, smashing, crashing, roiling, boiling, and you have a space on the rock, on the land from which to look out and observe, and the space makes you feel safe and secure and grounded and loved and at home, the only option is to take the rock that sticks out of the sea and to take your light and build a lighthouse so that others can find their way safe to shore too. And the kids were really jazzed about this. So we actually did it. We built a lighthouse using a candle and a flashlight. And I encourage folks to think about the lighthouse and this idea of Ba-Rashith with this stuff, this fundamental building block of the entire universe. If they are the same, if what it is that drew you into a Unitarian Universalist community or what it is that drew you into a faith community is something that gives you grounding and a sense of security and a sense of identity. If the only option is to shine that out into the world so that others can find their way to. And I think it's interesting to think about asking folks what drew them to a UU, a UU community. What is the lighthouse that brought you here? Was it the religious freedom? Was it that it was not Christian? Was it that it was friendly to humanists? Was it that it was a multiracial? Did it have Black Lives Matter sign? Uh, were they offering meditation practice on Sundays? What is it that drew you in? How would you name your Rashith? How would you name the lighthouse that drew you? Because I think while the light might come from the same lighthouse, we would name them differently. And isn't that the hope of Unitarian Universalism? Many faiths under one roof. But here's the deal. It's a great analogy. It's a great metaphor. The water being kind of scary and terrifying, but finding your way safe to shore. The deal is water has the potential and the power to be both chaotic and creative to be both harmful and peaceful, just as we do. But if the water is scary, we might remember that we have the rock, we have the lighthouse to lead us back, to help us feel home, at loved, safe, secure. But that is not what we are called to do as Unitarian Universalists. That might be what draws us in, gets us in the door, makes us feel loved. But that is not what we are called to do as a church, as a denomination, as a movement. We sang a song on Sunday called Wade in the Water. You might be familiar with it. It's a, an old spiritual 
that has roots in both the abolition movement and in the story of the Hebrews escaping from Egypt. Wade in the water, children, wade in the water. God's going to trouble the water. The abolition roots go back to Harriet Tubman, who allegedly told the folks she was leading to freedom that to escape the hunting dogs, you got to go into the water. And that if you go into the water, God's going to trouble the water, whip up the silt and the mud and the wind, and throw your scent off so that you can't be tracked and you can't be taken back to slavery. To be brave and go into the water because God's going to trouble the water and something good is going to come out of it. So the story of Moses and the Israelites, right? The Hebrew folks leaving Egypt. They get to the Red Sea or the Reed Sea. And they have to wade into the water. And according to the story, the sea parts and then smashes back together when the Pharaoh's army is inside of it, once everyone has made it across. That the courage to wade into the water, where the trouble is, where the disorder is, where the chaos is, that if you're willing to wade in, something good, something creative, something loving, something just might come out of it. So shouldn't we be willing to wade into that water together? Isn't that the point of Unitarian Universalism? Isn't that the point of church? So I'm listening to the latest episode of The View put on by the Church of Larger Fellowship, and they had Karen Loon and Nancy Palmer Jones on. They were talking about their book, Miracles and Mistakes, uh, on the road to multiculturalism, I think, or stories from congregations on the road to multiculturalism. And I have not read it, but I just ordered a copy because I'm super pumped after listening to their uh, podcast and YouTube video. So I encourage you to check it out. Uh, but I was struck by the conversation that was about the bumps and bruises on the road to multiculturalism and the inevitable discomfort of the process and how many white folks like me can feel that discomfort and, and start to shut down or feel that white fragility that we talked about at the beginning of this episode. And my colleague Aisha Hauser spoke about being in the discomfort together. That that's the call of Unitarian Universalism. That it's the thing that brings you stability in discomfort is that you're in community. And she said, isn't that the point? That the, the, the process is, is about the process. That's not just about the end game. It's not just about arriving at beloved community and multiculturalism. We all want to get there, of course. But for white folks, we sometimes struggle with being in the discomfort, with being in the process. We just want to get to the end. right? And I've, I have a story about this because I have felt it as well. right? I want solutions. I want to solve problems. I want to hammer in the nail. I want to fix what's wrong. And my supervisor at St. Elizabeth's Hospital had a, a sign in his office. And it was written in yellow and had black letters. I can see it clearly. And it says, change equals loss equals grief. And that was his theory about ministry. 
that change is inevitable and that every change necessarily produces loss and that loss necessarily produces grief. And that made a lot of sense to me. So I was always trying to name grieving rituals and uh, ways for people to express that grief and, and naming my own grief as a solution, as the end of the process, so that then we can move on, so that I can move on. And he always encouraged me that, no, loss, discomfort, frustration, anger, hurt, the process in the middle, you can't just skip right through it. You have to wade into the water. And isn't that what church is supposed to be about? Isn't that the call of Unitarian Universalism? To wade into the water together, knowing that if we look back, there's a lighthouse on the rock, a place where we go to feel safe, secure, to feel at home, to feel loved. But that's not what we're called to do. We're not called to stay there. We're called to wade out into the water and make the world a better place, to transform the world. So whatever your rashith is, whatever your theology says is the most fundamental truth about who you are, about your identity, about the nature of the world, the nature of the universe, I can't tell you what it is. I can tell you what mine is. I can tell you what mine is because I had some help with it. As someone who's a pro trying to be a progressive Christian, someone who believes in community and God and love and justice and hope and peace and unity, I get my Rashith from the honor code of a school that I used to work for in Connecticut, a school called St. Martin de Porres Academy. And every morning we would have a little chapel service and kids would all stand and raise their hand and they would say this pledge. And it's become my Rashith. It's become my lighthouse. It goes like this. I am a child of God. I will be truthful, honest, and respectful. I will work to the best of my ability to develop the talents that God has given me. I will endeavor to share my gifts and talents to make my family, my school, and my community a place of justice and peace. That was it. Said it every morning. For a lot of kids, it kind of became a rote memorization that they would just say. And we used to give uh, little pep talks. Or I would give pep talks. I don't know if everybody else did. And I encouraged kids to really take that to heart because I think it's really, really critical. It's a statement about who you are. I am a child of God, right? So for my theological tradition, that means that I am loved, I am held, I am a reflection of the divine image, that the spirit of life lives within me, that I have a light, divine light within me that I'm supposed to shine out to the world. I am a child of God, theological statement. I will be truthful, honest, and respectful. I will not just talk about it. I will do these things that I believe in. I will live my faith values out loud. I will work for the best of my ability to develop the talents that God has given me. I will improve myself. I will wade into the water. I will do the work. I will endeavor to share my gifts and talents to make my family, my school, and my community a place of justice and peace. I will shine my light out to transform myself 
my community, and the world. This is a deep theological statement. So you can change the first line to whatever your theology says. I am one with the universe. I am part of a great mystery. I am part of a community that loves me. I am loved. Or I am. That's a theological statement. Next, that I will live out my values and not just say them. That I will do the work and not just talk the talk. That I will work to improve my gifts and talents. To shine my light out and I will share it with the world to transform myself, my family, and my community. Isn't that the call of Unitarian Universalism? To transform the world. I think to do that, we need to find our Rashith. We need to find that thing that is the most fundamental truth about who we are and about what we believe. We need to wade into the water together. And when the water gets tough, we remember that we have a lighthouse. So I think we have to have a lighthouse. I encourage my folks, secular humanists, atheists, Buddhists, Hindus, Christians, to think deeply about what their grounded theology and spiritual practice are. What are those things that call us to reconnect, to power back up on land when the water gets rough, and then to get back out there together? As Aisha said on The View, there are lots of places you can go to do social justice work. So why do you come to church? As my colleague Rob Keithen in DC has said, we are not a social justice organization, as you use. We are not a social justice organization. We are a religious community that does justice work. Meg Riley, I believe it was Meg Riley who once said, that the goal of Unitarian Universalism is not to make spaces for like-minded people. The goal of Unitarian Universalism is not to make space or spaces for like-minded people, not to make communities of like-minded people. The goal of UUism is to change the world. So, what do we need to do that? What do we need to ground ourselves to wade into the water is what the Eighth Principle calls us to do, to dismantle systemic racism in ourselves and our institutions, to dismantle the white supremacy culture that is indicative of the way that we do worship, the way that we make decisions, and to wade into the water, not just trying to get to the other side, but to make sure that everyone else who is in the water with us is okay. Because there's going to be a lot of discomfort around this. There will be discomfort in the beginning, the most fundamental truth about the water is that it was chaotic, primordial, disorderly, disorganized. And from that water comes all that we know, comes the source of life itself, comes goodness, comes creativity, comes joy, comes hope, comes peace, comes love. At Restoration, along with housing folks in our space, along with sermonizing and talking about beloved community and multiculturalism. We're trying to live it out. We're trying to make changes to the way we do worship, to the way we make decisions, to the way we interact with one another, to center race. 
as both a great challenge and a great opportunity for us. As a multicultural congregation, we're embarking on a series of events that include these really intimate dinners where we have these beloved, hard conversations. And what I've told folks is that the discomfort will be there. The discomfort is necessary. In some ways, the pain is necessary. But there are different levels of discomfort and pain. For white folks, it is potentially uncomfortable to talk about race. For black and brown folks, it is potentially painful to talk about race. The water can be turbulent. And my hope is that if we wade in together, knowing that we have both our own or a common lighthouse to guide us back, that if we're confident that our rashith will ground us center us, keep us at the table. We can do this work together. That we can live out our call, we can live out our faith out loud. That we can transform ourselves and our community into a place of justice and peace. I'm forgetting the author of, of this last quote, but it, it speaks very highly to me. Um, someone who said, I, I used to think church was a doctor or a hospital. A place that relieves you of the pain, of the scars and the baggage. A place that takes away the pain. But I found that church is a midwife. The religious community is a midwife. It doesn't relieve the pain. Take away the pain. Take away the scars, the discomfort. Church is with you in the pain. Sits with you. Tries to experience it together if possible until something new is born. Until the rock, the land, is separated from the waters of chaos. Until the joy, the creativity, the hope, the love is born anew. Until the beloved community comes out of the white supremacist culture we have now. That is the call of Unitarian Universalism in my eyes. That is the call of my faith as a progressive Christian. It's the call of my ministry, I believe, is the call of restoration. To wade into the water together. To feel the spirit blowing over it. To feel the light that pulses behind us, ahead of us, within us. And to keep on shining. Until we get to the other side, whenever that is. But until then, we go together. We go together with courage, with faith, with hope, and with love. As a writer named Paul once said, the greatest of these is love. If that is your rishith, as it is mine. May it guide you every step of the way into the turbulence, into the chaos, into the discomfort, and know that you do not go alone. May it be so. Amen. Hey, if you can talk.
For more from McKinley, you can follow him on Twitter at McKinley Sims. That's on Twitter at McKinley Sims. Check out his blog, uuministry.com backslash McKinley Sims. uuministry.com backslash McKinley Sims. Find him on Facebook, find him on Instagram, or on YouTube. Hashtag UU Restoration. That's hashtag UU Restoration.